0: Hey, what's going on? This is David Avalon for another episode of Breaking the Guard with my co-host Robert Drysdale. We're now on episode number 42, and it's been a while. I know me and Rob have been off the air for a bit. I've been traveling in Florida. He's been busy with his documentary, The Closed Guard. So, uh, but we're going to come back to a normal schedule again, going on a weekly basis. So uh, you can look forward to listening to more of us in the near future. So uh, the first part of this episode, we just playing catch up, I'm talking about my travels a bit, of what I was doing in Florida. And then we talk a lot about his documentary, The Closed Guard. As you may know, he had already released a book that accompanies the, the documentary. So you can order that now uh, at um, The Closed Guard Film. But uh, he also talks about some of the interesting developments in the film that he wasn't anticipating. Like, uh, he was telling me that four of the red belts that he had interviewed in Brazil have passed away. So, it's kind of amazing because the timing of it, he wasn't planning on that, of course. But, like, if he would have delayed by, like, a few months, or, you know, he might have missed out on that valuable knowledge that these people had to hand down. So. There's things like that that I found very interesting, and uh, some of the insights that he has learned from these people as well. So it's worth a listen, so go ahead and tune in, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Before we get started, I'd like to give a shout out to DrysdaleBJJOnline.com. Again, this is your source for getting all the instructionals uh, Robert Drysdale has to offer. Uh, Again, it's just a, he's an amazing resource. You know, as someone who's trained with him, not only is he a beast as a competitor, but he's arguably an even better instructor. He's very articulate. He understands the technique very well and knows how to break down uh, each piece of the whole part. So go ahead, visit DrysdaleBJJOnline.com, and you can see all the different courses he has available. They're all like smaller, bite-sized uh, chunks that you can take down in one sitting and I start applying them right away. So go ahead, visit DrysdaleBJOnline.com to learn more and order. Hey, what's going on? This is David Avalon here with my co-host Robert Drysdale after a long hiatus. Yes, good to be back. <laughs> good, we're back here. Again, for another episode of Breaking the Guard. Uh, we have a lot of catching up to do because I haven't seen Robert probably like, in a month at I least. I know. This yeah. guy's
1: on vacation. He's the only person enjoying a vacation at the moment is David Avalon. He's
0: at the Key West well, Keys for what, three weeks? Well, I was in Miami first wow. for like nine, 10 days. I actually did uh, NRA training camp with my brother. Was, he's a training counselor with the NRA, so he has all the different certifications. So I actually got my basic pistol. Uh, Personal protection in the home, personal protection outside the home, mm-hmm. certifications as an instructor. Oh, nice. So, yeah, it's a, it's a cool course. There's a lot of stuff that you'll learn, like, doing it. So it's something that I'll probably start doing here as well. Nice, so the, nice. Here in Nevada, you have to have those three certifications in order to do a concealed carry permit. course.
1: You have to do the course to have a concealed carry permit?
0: Well, no, to be able to uh, give people a concealed carry permit. Okay, so you can do that now. I can do that now. you going to hook me up or what? <laughs> well, I have to go now and I have to submit my curriculum to the sheriff's well, department. They, so I to, well, I they, they, Dave
1: kind of owes me. Like he strategically set up like a, a, a podcast right when he knew he had a truckload of mats coming over. Tactically <laughs> very smart. He's like, hey, Rock, can you I'm gonna do a, a, a podcast 1130 a.m. sharp? <laughs> I get here. It's like, oh, by the way, I got some mats coming over. Can you help me carry them? No, I guess I owe Dave because like, there's like a couple, a few months ago, like I'm driving down the street, I see a piano on the street and it has a big sign on it. It says, I am working. Take me home. (laughs) You know, I'm like, okay, deal. I I was driving a truck at the time. So I'm like, I'm like two blocks away from your house. I'm like, it's Dave. Hey, Dave, you got a minute? (laughs) You ran over there.
0: That's a weird coincidence, huh? That you super. had the truck. I and, never had it. Yeah.
1: My car was at the shop, yeah. and I had a rental. What happened, what happened to be a truck, like, that never happens. You get a truck for a rental. Yeah. But that's what they gave me. And I'm driving down by Dave's house, and there's a piano on the street. And I'm like, perfect, I'm taking it. And uh, that shit was heavy, though. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and it works perfect. I'm surprised someone would give it away, because it's working you know, perfectly well. But yeah, so I guess we're even.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah and now i've been getting well i so i did the nra training camp first i was yeah. like a, a week long and then i went to the keys to some scuba diving and uh ate out like every night for two weeks so uh, that was pretty cool yeah, and i've never eaten so many steaks good for you man. <laughs> i was eating like porter houses like, i had two porter houses a prime rib new york strips beautiful mignons. only gained a pound you didn't I only gained one pound. Oh, that's not bad. At yeah. all.
1: Meat doesn't put a lot of weight on you because it's such an effort for your body to digest it. Like I always tell people when they are eating like people assume that a thousand calories is always equal to a thousand calories, and it's not true. Yeah, because Macaroons, if you eat yeah. a yeah exactly, if you eat a thousand calories of Oreos versus a thousand calories of steak, the Oreos your body absorbs very easily without much effort from your digestive tract, right? Because it's just pure sugar. Whereas a steak has a, may have the same amount of calories but it's a lot more work for your body to digest it. So you're absorbing like a smaller amount of those calories.
0: Yeah. Like I was actually talking to my girlfriend about it and essentially people say like how much protein you should have in one sitting because your body can only absorb a certain amount. And it it depends on what you mean by the word absorb. Your body absorbs all of it. Now what it uses it for is different things. So like for like muscle synthesis and, and repair, it's somewhere around 30 40 grams again depends on how big you are and whatnot but genetics all of that somewhere around there it will be used for rebuilding muscle yeah and then the rest of it is just going to be for energy energy because there's
1: only so much our body can absorb but see like i've heard like conflicting things because like bodybuilders will tell tell you like x amount of grams of, of of protein per per day or whatever right and then i've heard the opposite your body can only absorb so much but again, with the amount of steroids they take and plus the amount, how much they work out, I'm sure that changes everything. Like, you probably have, like, a natural threshold of how much your body can absorb. But with, with the steroids, you add to that the fact that these guys are, like, working out every day hard. Yeah. It probably pushes that threshold of how much protein your body is actually going to need. It's also I the, wouldn't know for sure, but I, I imagine that would be the case. The
0: timing is a, is a factor, too. Yeah. Like, if you see, like, you can watch some of these guys, like, uh, that mountain, you know. Yeah. And they're eating at, like, a 4 in the morning. Oh, yeah, essentially, they, they, they wake up to eat. Yeah. They're eating like every two to four hours. That's crazy. So, And they're getting protein in every meal. So it's not like they eat like 200 grams of protein in one sitting and then just they're done for the yep. day. Like it's spread out because there's a timing. Like they have a better understanding of it. But essentially after like a three hour window is like a peak time to start getting more protein in. So they do. This is an example. I'm not okay. sure it's the exact number, but they'll time their meal schedule accordingly. And, like, when you're a giant like that, it's a full-time job eating that much to maintain that size. Because, you know, like, your body doesn't want to be that big.
1: It's not not efficient. It's unnatural, yeah. Yeah,
0: because, like, you have to to consume so much energy. You have
1: to trick your body to get that big. Yeah, Yeah,
0: like, you have to constantly work your body so hard just to maintain that type of size. You know, it's not like, oh, it's hard to gain weight, like, 200 pounds. Like, when you're trying to be, like, 350 and stuff like that and jacked, it's a lot of work. It's not, like, something that you want to do to yourself unless you're... (laughs) <laughs> you're about no, that life. no yeah. it, it, the
1: thing the, the issue I have with that is it turns like anyone who's like a, a too into anything diet diet wise right whether you're trying to get really lean or really big, whatever the case, it turns into a part- time job yeah. It's like your life it goes around your diet, and I just don't want to live like that. I respect a hell of people who do that, like meal prep and they count their carbs and like they know exactly man i that's a tremendous amount of discipline dave I've never had that, and like I don't ever want to live like that, but I admire people who do but I just don't see myself, I've never, I mean, I always cut weight, but it was never like, you have a vague idea of what you can and can't eat. You're not really counting calories. But I I mean, I missed weight once my whole life, so I feel like I've always done a good job. Um, But like some of these guys, man, they're like, they're on the timer. They have a timer, right? Like I have to eat every two, three hours or whatever. And they wake up in the middle of the night, like to drink a protein shake. Yeah, that's legit, man. Because if I do that, I probably won't go back to sleep.
0: Yeah, Yeah, for sure. I, I wouldn't. I do count my calories still to this day. You do? I mean, yeah. It's a lot of work, man. Uh, it's not you that get much. used to it. You get used to it. Uh, it's pretty easy. Especially like, with the apps that yeah. you have now, like you just push a button, and it kind of knows what you're eating already. Yeah. So you just okay, that, 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 that. And and you get better at eyeballing things because I know now that, okay, I see like this size. This of is rice. like a six yeah. ounce of steak or you know meat. Yeah. You, know, you have a better idea. And you have scales and stuff. And, and then again, It's also an estimated sign. It's not exact. Like, I mean, when they give you, like, four ounces of chicken breast is 120 calories. That's an estimate, you know, based on one chicken that they decided to test how much calories it has. You know, so, like, people, if you're trying to get super exact with it, it's kind of silly. It's all just general. You know, as long as you're in the ballpark, you're probably within, like, 10 to 20% accuracy. You're good enough. You know, and I don't know, like I said, I was out there eating, like, an animal. But I was also, I kept to my workout schedule. So that's the one thing I feel like I've done differently now, is that when I plan the vacation, I'm like, okay, where are the gyms? Okay, yeah. there's one here, yeah, there's one yeah. there. Okay. And now that since she's been about her since I met her, so it's like, it's like the first time we worked out together on vacation. But oh, yeah. nice. And we're there for like two or three hours <laughs> going at it. And then afterwards, we just eat. So it was a, it was a nice trip, but it's good to be back. You I know? need that. I need that. <laughs>
1: but uh, yeah, man, no. Um, and we got lots to talk about. I'm trying to think here where to start.
0: Well, I wanted uh, to hear about the, the closed guard. Oh, man.
1: Yeah. I'll begin by apologizing for being late. <laughs> we had, uh, I'll give you a brief rundown of, of where we're at. But because we announced it in March uh, that we, uh, we were going to be done, you know, releasing the summer. And we left it. We didn't have a date in the summer. We were vague about it because there are some moving pieces that we are not in our control. Right. Uh, but we announced this in March we were missing some copyright permissions from some images that we wanted to use because a copyright issue is a very scary one. Oh, like, yeah, there that's... are attorneys that make a living from like, just trying to find someone using something they're not supposed to be using, and then they'll sue you to oblivion. Um, but uh, yeah, man, like, I, uh, um, we didn't expect that we were not going to be able to get rights to some of these images you know, soon enough, but I think COVID shut down a lot of libraries and museums. So, like some of them, for example, there are museums and libraries in Japan that are permanently they're, they're closed. Like you can't get a hold of them. So it's like one of those things where you have an option. We either go through with the film and miss out on some of these images or we wait a little longer. or we waited this long and make it the film we want it to be for posterity, right? And I feel like we waited this long. I would rather err on the side of quality over rushing something just because we promised it, you know. And, I mean, it, it's, maybe it's we wishful thinking that we thought we'd be ready in the summer, you know, given all the moving pieces. But, you know, it is, the good news is that it, it is happening. It's not one of those things we're going to quit on. We're very close. We have a f- cut of the film, but the copyright issue, we're missing some, like, we're tweaking some. Because it's very difficult to f- get the narrative to flow because you have so many different topics and they all overlap. So it's very difficult to create a narrative where you follow you will follow a chronological order, but if you're too chronological, it stops making sense. Yeah, you have to like you, there's a lot of there's some back and forth going on because you have to talk about the characters, but the characters don't fit chronologically because they are a part of the story throughout. So where exactly do they fit? And maybe begin here, but they have a big moment here. So we can't we can't be too chronological. All right, so it's not always easy to make because we have so many like so many stories. That are interrelated, so it's difficult to stick to. Like if we were only telling the story of immigration, or only the story of Helio Gracie, or only the story of Mitsui Maeda, or only the story of Kodokan, it'd be easy. Yeah. But we're talking about all these things.
0: Yeah, a lot of moving parts, and you, yes, and you were. I mean, you were in Japan, you were in Brazil, so you're, you're all over the place. But I, I don't think anybody's gonna fault you on delaying. It's funny because I saw on Instagram they postponed the ADCC trials in the U.S. Yeah, and people were complaining like, oh. You guys need to be more professional. And, like, dude, the NFL, the NBA, Everything. you know, PFL, UFC, dude, the world economy it, got delayed. And you're going to full ADCC for a post-partner I know, I know. <laughs> it's, 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 like, it's like, come on, dude. Everybody's been messed up by this. You know, so, like, your it's thing getting delayed, crazy, it's, it's Most people are supportive.
1: I made a post a while ago talking about it, right? Okay. Most people are supportive. There's, like, a couple guys, like, oh, you guys got no credibility. And there's a part of me that wants to block them. It's like, I don't care if you don't watch the film now. But, um, you know, it's got to be diplomatic. And like, I ask people to understand because a lot of it really isn't in our power. Some of it, it could be blamed on my lack of experience. Uh, but I would rather, like I said, rather err on the side of doing something that's archival and people will be able to reference 50 years from now. And I think I mentioned this before. I don't think this can be redone because these old masters, these grandmasters, they're are all, learn, yeah. all dying. We've lost four of them since we've done filming. Oh, wow. Four of them have passed away, just to give you an idea of how we were, man, the timing of this thing was perfect. But so you got
0: to meet all the people you were going to the,
1: the more, I mean, obviously, I mean, had, we, had this been done 20 years ago, we would grand have grand even grand more grandmasters. Grand. But the thing, my point is, the first generation of practitioners, they're all dying. So once those are gone, we're going to have the second generation, which is less and less, it goes, because it's less and less interesting the closer it gets to where we're at, right? Yeah. So the idea, the further back we can go, the better. So that's why I, I think that it's, like, it's a key moment for a film like this. And, um, you know, because we have the research that came within the 2000, after 2012, largely. That's when the research came about. And then that coincided with the grandmasters reaching a very advanced age. It was a very small window for us to do this, right? And wow. we were right there. It was an accident. It wasn't intentional. It was only later that I put two and two together. But So I think that this is why it's so important that we do a good job, that we don't err on the side of rushing things, right? Just because some people are really eager to see it. And because I truly believe that this is something people are going to be watching 40, 50 years, from you now. Like, when people want to learn the history of Jujitsu, and you don't want to read 20 books, you watch a documentary.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be awesome to watch for sure. But, like, uh, your this project was privately funded, right? Correct. So that's the other thing. I mean, people can wait. You know, I, I know some people had gripes about other documentaries because they were crowdfunded. And then yeah. They, yeah, I, I get that. And we're getting some of that flack, yeah. Yeah, but, like, it's not the same thing. You know, you're privately funded. This is your own venture you know well
1: so. i'm not funding it. i'm not rich <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> oh but, but i mean yeah. your investors yeah my, yeah but yeah. my investor's surprisingly patient like he understands like he, every now and then he'll message me and i just tell him the truth you know yeah. and he's very understanding um we're way behind schedule but he's very understanding especially with covid now so uh they actually wanted me to fly out there last weekend i had a marcelos fight so i couldn't go but the, and i'm not sure it's easy to get in and out of russia right now uh, so, yeah, yeah probably, I yeah. don't want to get quarantined in somewhere and, you know, God knows where. So um, it might wait a little bit longer till it's because they, they want me to go because they, they, they want to, you know, they want to. Sh- I've sent them uh, cuts of the films, what we yeah. have. But I told them I wrote a book and I'm going to send them a copy in Russian. I'm Google Translate. I, don't, I can't translate to Russian. Yeah. But I'll give them a copy because I talk about them and how they funded the film, too. So it'd be a nice gift. But, uh, yeah, we're making moves, man. The book is out. It's going to print today or tomorrow, and will be on Amazon very soon. Right now, it's on our website. Nice. Um, we had a pre-sale, so the pre-sale is going to end in a week or so whatever. And uh, I'll give you a copy. And then, you know, I think that the book, we were able to get in more detail because no matter how much you talk about a film or how much you have permission to have in a film, it's still 90 minutes, right? There's a reason why the people who read a book and then they read the adaptation, they're always somewhat disappointed. Yeah, and it's not because the adaptation is necessarily bad. It's just because there's so much more in the book. It's so much more depth to it, right? So I feel like the the book is a very good companion to the film. If you're really interested in the story, if it's just if you're just like a you know casual observer, you're like, yeah, whatever. I like to learn who Helio Gracie is. It's crazy. Like a lot of the young generation, they don't even know who Helio Gracie is, which is nuts to me. But that is wild. Yeah, a, a lot of my blue belts like they've never even heard of him. Uh, but So that, that, the documentary will do that. But like if you're really into martial arts history and you love jiu-jitsu and you want to find out something about how BJJ and MMA developed in Brazil, I think the book is, uh, is going to give you a little more information. You know? I mean, for sure it will, because you can expand on all those topics in more detail.
0: Right? I think but, uh, what you were saying about those old uh, masters essentially passing away, kind of sad. I mean, in a sense, like, it's great that you were able to capture I think, you know, some moments with them. That you can pass down yeah. to everybody else because it's kind of like when you watch like Star Wars and all the Jedi's are dying off. It's like yeah. you're losing that history, you know what I mean? So these are like BJJ Jedi's. Yeah,
1: You know, what's so sad is that, you know, I, I understand like people, if you're into sports and martial arts, you're far more interested in the athletic ability of that person, more in the lessons that the older generations can teach you, right? So someone like, you know, has been training jiu jitsu for 67 years, they're like, it, man, they're an the encyclopedia of wisdom, not just technique. I'm talking wisdom, yeah. life wisdom, like experience. And then, and I, always, and, I, and I always mess around. I said, I mentioned this in the book. Like, these guys are me in the future. This is a window into the future. Like, you look at these guys, you might feel like, oh man, like, that sucks. And I'm like, we, that's, that's you in a few years, man. Yeah. It's true. That, that's yeah, you yeah. in a few years. So to me, it was interesting because I wanted to pick their brain and see if I could learn something from them life-wise. Because this is, I wonder who I was going to be like. Am I going to be like Robson Gracie, Hensel's father, or Armando Vredin, or this other guy, João Alberto Barreto, and all these Jedis. And you wonder, which one am I going to be most like? And there was something sad about it because they were so happy to be interviewed. And it was almost like, wait a second, man. I'm the privileged one here. Yeah. Like, I get to sit down with a living legend. Like, was the, these people are the founders of BJJ and MMA, right? The very first practitioners. And they're, like, they're so happy to tell their story. Like, it's not that they've never been interviewed before, but it probably a long time goes by before anyone cares about listening to what they have to say. And Armando, he still taught class every day, the guy with the beard. Yeah. Two students in the middle of the jungle, outside of Brasilia. Students. He drove the mat. Dude, it, it was like the most beautiful. It's probably like the most, well, probably the most incredible experience of my life, other than, you know, like having children. Like it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Post production, I hated every aspect of it. It sucked, but the filming of it was so rich. Like spending time with these guys and getting to pick their brain and seeing how. I don't know. There was like there was this piece to them. It was a very beautiful thing, man. Like it was just one of those things where, I think in life you have this, you have these moments, right? We change. We go ambition. You know, and then there's a slowly, there's an acceptance of what you can and can't do and who you really are and what your limitations are, right? And you can see with these guys, because they're in their 80s and 90s, they're past that threshold. They're like, there's this peace about them. They're perfectly happy. Like, if they die tomorrow, they don't say it, but like, they would be, like, I don't want to die tomorrow. I feel like I got a lot to live still, you know? But with them, it was always, it was something very peaceful about, they felt very, they're very proud about the life they lived. And they were perfectly happy moving on. If they have to die, with, like the next day, they'd be like, "Perfectly yeah. fine," you know. And I was, man, I, I hope I can be like that one day, you know. it's just, a, I mean, it was, it was a lesson. It was a very spiritual experience in a lot of ways, uh, but it was a lesson for, for life more than jujitsu. You know? So that's probably what I took the most from it. There's a little bit about that in the book. I talk about that as well, but yeah, it was an amazing experience, man. I, mean, I just got to finish the film.
0: Yeah, man. Well, I I think that's gonna be a treat for everybody. I know I'm looking forward to it. I've seen some of the clips yeah. way back in, when you were starting and yeah. they were very intriguing because it, it's a lot of stuff that is a, a side of the society like it, the title's great in close guard because yeah. it fits perfectly what you're saying. So everything has kind of been held back, yeah. you know, it's only one person's telling their version yeah. of history. I think we could I think nowadays we can understand that better yeah. with the advent of, you know, quote unquote fake news. Yeah. And people can see now like, you know, oh, you know, all because it's on the book or because it's being told to you from a TV personality doesn't make it real, you know? Or that's just one version of someone's interpretation of events, and there's so many others out there. many
1: different perspectives, and they're conflicting a lot of times. But it's called closed guard for another reason. It's not only because the story has been closed. Because it's interesting about the closed guard position. That That was no man's land when the Brazilians, particularly the Gracie family, they're battling the judokas. They can't hang on their feet. They're getting thrown left, right, and center. Like the judokas... And the judokas are constantly fighting for a rule set that starts standing and has points, like the traditional judo rule set. Yeah. Brazilians are like, no, 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 you can pull guard, no time limit, no points, because they're, they're moving in a direction where they feel they have a chance at winning, defeating the Japanese, right? So closed guard was that middle ground, because the Japanese are very skilled on the ground. It's not that they didn't know ground. You know, they, judo became less and less ground-oriented over the years, but during that, that 1930s, 40s, there's a lot more niwaza in judo. And what happened was the closed guard was where Brazilians held their ground. This is where I can hang against you, close the guard on you. I don't open. We draw. Oh, I really won because I didn't get tapped. Right? So it was a strategical thing. So closed guard was not, it, just, it has like that double meaning. It's This is where Brazilians were able to hold their ground against the Japanese long enough to create something that we now call Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's interesting. To me, this is obvious because I grew up in Brazil, but most people in the U.S. don't know this. No one in Brazil has ever called it Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Maybe, you probably know this. No one, Brazil, the term Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is an American invention. Either Americans or Brazilians invented it, but in the United States. It was in Brazil. till this day, no one calls it Jiu-Jitsu Brasileiro. Yeah. The, people just don't call it. I, I refer to it in the book to make a distinction. Because in the book, I talk about after Hoist Gracie, that's when BJJ exists. Before that, it's Judo slash Jiu-Jitsu. Because that's what they were doing. It was after IBJJF and Hoist Gracie that what now we call BJJ came into being. because. It has to do, it's, the term is immediately associated with the, the spread of the sport around the world after hoist racing, right? But, um, yeah, so then, and then the name of the book is Open and Closed Guard. It's got that double meaning, too, you know? But, um, yeah, man, it's, uh, it's, um, it's, been, it's been great, man. like a lot. I'm still learning. You know what I found out recently? You're going to like this. Hmm. Um, the, there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's a Brazilian uh, research called Elton Silva, and he writes a book on the history of MMA in Brazil, and he's talking about the influence of capoeira in Brazilian jiu jitsu. And I'm like, how? At first, I'm like, there's no way. But, and when you start paying attention, it's like he's got a lot of good points. If you watch Hoist in the first UFC, how did he approach the clinch? With a stomp. Yeah. The capoeira then, right, was very different from capoeira. Now, I didn't know this, but capoeira then had takedowns and ground fighting. The mm-hmm. capoeira changed a lot in the second half of the, the, the 20th century. It's, it's, been, it's, it was, it's a change in martial art. But back in the day in Brazil, in the first half of the 20th century, or like the later half of the, the, the 19th century, it was more MMA-oriented. It was more street fighting, right? So they had takedowns. In fact, in Brazil, the double-leg takedown has a name. It's called Bayana. It's a mm-hmm. capoeira move. It's basically a double-leg. It's like not as clean as a wrestling double-leg, but it's grab the leg, take you down. It's, and in Bra- a lot of Brazilians till this day, they don't say double-leg. They don't say Morotegari, which is the judo Jersey. version. Mm-hmm. They say Bayana. It's very common. So the stomp, what's the other one? That technical stand-up we do in the warm-up, that's not judo. That came from capoeira. Because yeah, like capoeira, they have like this whole sequence they would do of kicking on the ground and standing back up if they have to. Oh, yeah. So that's where it came from. So you can see even like some of the, the and then he has like a, a whole series of moves that are originally from capoeira from the second half, the first half of the 20th century that the Gracie Academy incorporated. And it made it into its way into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that way. So it was just very interesting because you wouldn't think that capoeira would have had influenced you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And obviously, catch wrestling. Yeah. Because kind of the, the influence of catch wrestling is obvious. Like I said this before, like, uh, Brazilians say army loki. They don't say jojigatami. Yeah. Army loki. Leggy loki. They didn't get that from the Japanese. Yeah, they yeah. got it from catch wrestlers, right? Traveling in the circus. So there's, there's clearly more influences in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu than only Judo.
0: Right? And yeah, I think, you, and that's probably covered also, but the judo also got from catch wrestling too from what I understood. Is that right? But from what, Western wrestling. Yeah.
1: So judo, it's funny because in my head, judo was something that you know, built on an ancient tradition that is much older than Western influence. Yeah. And judo really is a, a hybrid of we, a, a Japanese traditions, like the two styles that Jogoro Kano practiced, the two rus. and then you know, sumo as well but also Western wrestling. We borrowed a lot. Even like the the point system, like pinning the guy on the ground kind of thing, they got that from wrestling. So it was in fact wrestling that, I always thought that wrestling, for some reason I had that wrestlers had taken the kataguruma and made it the fireman's carry. But it's in fact the other way around. So a lot of the throws from wrestling were absorbed into judo. And judo is also the syncretism of a lot of, uh, not just uh, Western techniques in terms of techniques, but philosophy, you know, the... um, uh, like ideas of education, like these uh, sports, physical education, sports as a means of bettering the human. That's a Western idea. It's not a Japanese idea, but they borrowed that as well. One of the most impressive things Jigoro Kano does, this is mind-boggling when you think about it, it created a space for all of us to have a job today. This is why Jigoro Kano is the most important figure in the history of martial arts, because what he did is really incredible. It was not done in the West. That's why in the West our idea of martial arts is so different. Asian martial arts because Yogoro Kano had a vision he did it he goes like this we're going to turn something that is meant for killing which is Martin what a martial art is into something that's educational for children now think about the gap between convincing but because now that we, we think it's common sense now that we go yeah martial arts great for children but the gap between convincing a parent that something that's meant for killing is a great idea for their child yeah like, he bridged that gap. He convinced the Japanese Ministry of Education, look, we're going to teach these kids how to fight, and that's going to be great for their education. At a time when they're trying to become westernized, they're trying to, like, leave their traditions behind, they're like, no, no, we got to be like the West is now, right? When you think about it, man, that's... Talk about political genius.
0: It is a difficult thing to pull. It's kind of like, um, you know, there's a lot of controversy here in the States, even with guns, you know, you yeah. have people who are anti-Second Amendment, pro-Second yeah, yeah. Amendment. But, like, for example, my brother taught all his kids how to use guns. Yeah. it's a controversial issue controversial but at the same time like what's more dangerous somebody who doesn't know how to use something that's around or someone Someone that knows how to use it it's kind of like if you don't teach people leg locks and then you throw them into a match and they get into a leg lock they're in a lot of problems now it's better that they know it you know so it makes sense, but yeah, I, I could see how that'd be a big issue. If, you, if you're like, no, I, if, you know, if it was martial arts was associated with war and killing, like, okay, we're gonna show this to little Timmy. It's like, whoa. It, on, it yeah. changed, but
1: they, we changed our perception because now we associate martial arts with education. We yeah. don't associate it with war anymore. No. We don't associate it with killing and hurting people. We associate it with philosophy and improving on the human being and being learning discipline. Yeah. And, at all its,
0: this. and at its worst, sport. Yeah. That's, that's like the most violent form, it's a sport, sport. Yeah. with
1: like a paramedic right there, a referee, tons of rules, it's pre- and he creates that, you got on, that's one thing, like, oh, Brazilian Brazilians, they built off of something that was already there, they made some adaptation, less technical revolution, it was mostly cultural changes into what we call judo, Brazilians start calling it jiu-jitsu, now later in the world, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but really created what we call martial arts was Jigoro. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. That's why, I, that's why he, he was not in the story originally in the documentary. But once I start coming to these realizations, I'm going, I can't leave this out. This is too, I, this is too incredible to leave him out. Because we're going to start with the Japanese migrating to Brazil. Right? Might amongst them, but not the first. But uh, we just couldn't leave out this other. But then it got too broad. That's the other problem. So they got too big. So like, oh, what do we leave out now? So that's those are some of the reasons why you know, the, the film's been held back. But, um, yeah, with the, the, the other thing I was going to talk about, this is one of the things I didn't come to the realization until very, very recently. And I wish I'd come to this conclusion earlier on, is that Mitsui Maeda Konjikoma has always been at the center of the story. There's no good reason for him to be at the center of the story. It's just mm-hmm. that he always has been, so no one questions it. But when you think about it, he didn't do much. He's retired when he goes to Brazil. He doesn't have a lot of students. He hands off his class. He teaches some classes. He trains some Brazilians, and he kind of like takes a step back. That's the extent of his relationship to martial arts in Brazil. But he was famous. So his biggest contribution to, and people don't like, it's not a very popular position, but I believe that his biggest contribution to martial arts, jiu-jitsu, MMA, whatever, was that he lend his name. Unwillingly, he lend his name to all these Brazilians who lack credibility. They had zero credibility. In the middle of the Jap- tons of Japanese immigrants coming over, what Brazilian is going to have credibility? If you want to learn martial arts, who are you going to learn it from? It's kind of like an American trying to teach jiu-jitsu. We were talking about that with Keen- the Keenan podcast. Yeah. Yeah, like, Americans are immediately at, at a disadvantage because if you have a Brazilian accent, it doesn't matter how good you are. Most of your clientele is going to presume that the Brazilian is better at jiu-jitsu. Right, saying a Thai guy, American guy teaching Thai or a Thai teaching Thai boxing. Yeah, yeah. Immediately people think, oh, clearly the guy from Thailand knows more. And the same thing was happening in Brazil. Everyone presumed that the Japanese knew more. So how do, these, how do these Brazilians gain credibility? Well, they have to associate themselves with the biggest name in the industry, which was Mitsui Maeda. So everyone's using his name, not just Carlos, everyone's using his name. Whether how much they train with him, if they train with him at all, is a different story. But that was his biggest contribution. Like he was just borrowing, and so his name is being thrown in the press left, right, and center. Oh, I train with Maeda because everyone wants to be his student, you know. But he didn't actually do much
0: when you think about it. You know? Interesting, yeah. Our celebrity,
1: yeah, and, and the powers is exactly what it was, man. Because everyone knew who he was. He was a celebrity in the in the, in the Japanese community.
0: You know? Well, it you know? seems like it's something that's still leveraged to this day. Like if you look at popular names like Gracie Jiu yeah. Jitsu, you know, like just by throwing that Gracie Jiu Jitsu oh, name. Huge. It gives, sheesh. like, I know when I was in West Virginia, one of the martial artists there, I think at the time he was like a blue belt, like Gracie Jiu Jitsu, and yeah. that was like the biggest school in the area. And, but just because that name recognition is very strong. Oh, but sheesh. I wonder now, like, as time goes on, the Gracie name is probably going to start fading away a little bit as far as, because it's no longer as big yeah. in, like, uh, in the news. Because before we had, of Gracie and, yeah, you had Hanzo, and they were at the forefront of MMA and the UFC and in Pride. But, you know, now I think you have Neiman Gracie and Chrome, it's, it's but not, it's, not, yeah. it's not the same. You know, they're not the yeah. standout stars like the, that they used to be. Yeah. So, like, I know like, you might tell someone, oh, you know, like, who is Gracie? They're like, who? I'm yeah. like, oh, God damn it. I know, you have to explain <laughs> that. <So> it's crazy <laughs> how to explain that.
1: But, like, it just, like, I think that 10, 15 years ago, just by having that surname, you would probably increase, like, $50,000 to 1, $100,000. Oh, for sure. On your purse just by having that last name. I and pride that. just by being like, your purse is already doubled.
0: I know, like, when I actually grappled um, yeah. Henner, Henner Gracie, yeah. when I beat him, this was like 2003. Yeah. I made a website, or well, my brother made the website, yeah. Avalon Defeats Gracie, yeah. and we were marking the hell of that thing. That, 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 that brought a lot of traction to the gym, you know, because people were that searching huge, Gracie. Yeah. And you know, oh, you beat a Gracie? Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, you know? but they, I mean, you, you got to give credit to them. Like, it's, it's pretty incredible what they did. Because, like, of course, we come across as haters because we're challenging some of the story. Yeah. But when you think about it, it's a pretty incredible story. Because they, they have a very unusual culture they created within the family. Like, this, I, I call it a Spartan culture. Like, these, the, it, was, it was a big family, a lot of kids. They're all training. They all ate the same diet. Like, it was, it was like boot camp, man. Like, they grew up within that boot camp. I admire that. Like, I'm not saying that I would want to grow up like that, but there's just something to be admired about the discipline and, and resolve that Carlos and Helio had to create something for themselves. Yeah. I don't admire the methods. I say this in the book. Like, I don't admire how they did it. But the ambition, the resolution, like we're going to do it. And I think Hoyce gives a great quote. He was like, that's how my dad was. We're going to do something. We're not going to wait. We're going to do it now. We're going to do it our way. And that's the kind of guy he was. And that's what got us here. Without that resolution, that, that resolve of, 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 uh, of doing things the way they wanted to do it, I don't think MMA would have existed. Not in, as in the UFC. It would have existed like Shuto always existed yeah. in Japan. There, MMA is not, was not invented in Brazil, but it became popular through that particular lineage. Brazil, Gracie's, UFC, Hoist, and so on. Right. Um, I, mean, I but, think they, yeah. were very, they were the right people for the job. I don't think that anyone else could have done it.
0: Well, I, I they executed a brilliant plan with how the first UFC was made with Horion and killed it. Yeah. Getting Hoist in there instead of using Hickson and whatnot. Yeah. So like it was very well planned. And like you said, a lot of ambition and they had to grind their way up from the little I know of it. Yeah. You know, Horion was first a lawyer and then yeah. he was working with, you know, local people in the garage, the Gracie Garage and all that yeah. stuff. So, you know, people are like, oh, they got lucky, man. Those dudes grinded hard, to they, get
1: where they're at. a hundred percent. No one could take that. And not only that, but the vision, man. Like sometimes like I'm i well, will be thirty nine in, in a week. I mean, sometimes I'm like, I'd be like, like it's there's not all you know what I'm saying, like I've there have been moments in my life, Dave, where I'm like, I know exactly, you know, where to go. It's just, you know, when I was in competition mode. Yeah. Obviously in my life, like I see a lot more options. It's like, okay, I'm gonna do this and but, you know, with them, there's a, there's a theme. Not all family members, the big family, obviously, but like a lot of the ones we know of, at least, because they stuck to it, there was a theme. There was a resolve. You know, we're going to do it, we're going to do it this way. And, they, and pretty much a big portion of the family lives off of jiu When you think about it, they stuck to it. And it's pretty impressive because, like, it's hard to find a family where people, half the family is, you know, working more or less in the same profession. Yeah. And it's a big family. It's so big. Hops and Grace are the patriarch of the family. Like, he doesn't, know he doesn't even know his ne- Like he, he, he admits it. Like, he doesn't know his family. He doesn't. Like, I, I, we had one of our historians, like, knew way more about who was son of who <laughs> than the patriarch of the family. They're like, I got a lot of grandchildren, man. Like, that's what, you, that's what you would say because it's such a big family. But, like, so many of them stuck to jiu-jitsu because now it's easy to stick to it because it clearly is very profitable. Yeah. But at the time when it wasn't, there was no money be made in the 70s and 80s from jiu-jitsu. And that's what's so impressive. They stuck to it at a time when no one gave a shit about jiu
0: I think it says a lot about the power of the martial arts yeah. because it's not just like a profession. Like, for example, on my father's side of the family, a lot of engineers yeah. because in, they're from Venezuela. They do like, oil refinery and stuff. Like, well, before yeah. they blew up the country. But yeah. uh, so I had like, my dad's an engineer, my grandfather was an engineer, my uncle was an engineer, uh, well, my uncles, many of them were, even my aunt is an engineer. So naturally, profession for me was supposed to be engineer. You know, I graduated all my brother's civil, yeah. but we broke off and we got into martial yeah. arts, right? And I think the main difference is that martial arts as a, as a profession is not just a profession. It's like you said, it's a culture, it's a way of being. Yeah. You know, it's a philosophy. Engineer is a job, right? That's a good There's point. no like culture or. Outside like, of just or your work. Philosophy. I mean, yeah. yes, you have the understanding of mechanics and, you know, and, and the love for work. the job. You can love your yeah. work. But, but uh, it's not the same, right? No. So I think it's easier in the sense to spread that. Like, my, for example, my brother, all of his kids are training martial arts. Yeah. Know? whether they're going to work in the martial arts is another thing, but they're going to be doing it, you know? They're going to yeah. be in it. So in one way or another, they're still going to be involved. And yeah, knowing yeah, my it, brother, they're going to be making their own gyms and all that. So. No, yeah. 100%. No, 100%. Yeah.
1: But, like it's, but even that, like you mentioned, like so many engineers in your family, that's unusual. Like I don't have that in my family, for example. Like my, my, both my parents are teachers, you know? I mean, they were, they were athletes when they were younger, but... Uh, there's not a single martial artist in my family. You know? like everyone's got a completely different profession. I think most families are like that. You know? But I think it's, it's, it's unique, man. I, I, I think I, it was
0: yeah. a, the older times, you would have more people following in the footsteps of your father. Than yes. And it makes a lot of sense because who are you going to learn it from? You didn't have these major universities or this easy access to all these knowledge. Yes. So it makes sense. Like if your father was a carpenter, a, or whatever, a carpenter yeah you're going to learn from him because yeah. you're going to be mentored under him and he's going to teach you all the little tricks that you wouldn't learn normally. Yeah. And there's something to be said about that model because honestly, like, that's the best way to learn, right? Because you're learning from someone who actually does the thing now and you need to get hands-on experience. Versus when we go through like, you know, schooling nowadays, you're learning subjects that are all spread out because they're trying to give you this generalized knowledge and then when you're in, the, like in college, you're still learning from somebody, but he doesn't actually practice. right like,
1: Yeah, it's different. Yeah. Like
0: when you're in engineering, I'm learning from you know, instructors that just teach particular subjects. It's questionable whether they even worked in the field. Yeah. You know what I mean So uh, I, don't know, I like that mentorship model better because for example, the marketing knowledge that I learned was from a mentorship model. I learned it from my brother and from Lloyd Irving, yeah. you know and that is what I'm been able to yeah. make my living from. Yeah. You know, I graduated from engineering, but I did like nine months of it, and, and then out. And there's something
1: that's like, been lost because at the same time, you know, building off of what you're saying is that we've gotten more freedom because now the internet information universities have given us the freedom to choose our, to some extent, not complete, but we can mostly choose our professions, right? You know, 500 years ago, that was not a choice. If your dad was a you know, blacksmith, that's what you're gonna yeah. do. But there's something that's been lost too because I think there was a bond that is created between a parent and a child, when you're teaching them something that you know well, like you know, there's something very special. Like me teaching, like, yeah, sometimes I'll teach my daughter's privates. Something very special there, man. It's, it's a bond because it's not just a profession that you love, but you're sharing your passion with the person you love the most in the whole world, and that creates a bond. That's it's something very special. I just started learning how to play the guitar. All right, so I'm like, I would dare say, I'm almost a blue belt at guitar. Right? I started during quarantine. I can play in, like some of my favorite songs, open chords. I can nice. do that. So my my daughter's been watching, me, so they got the piano. So they they're starting to play the piano, right? We got a piano teacher, whatever. And uh, but now I got them a little tiny guitar, like one of those like modified little baby like yeah. kid guitars. So it, they're gonna get it. I get them tomorrow, so they're gonna they have one because if you never know if it's gonna sit in the garage forever. So <laughs> if they're really into it, I'll buy a second one. But. I can't wait to be able to teach them how to play because that right there is going to create a bond between us that you can't replace. Man, that's, there's nothing like it, man. Yeah. That's the best feeling in the world is being able to teach your child something. And if you can bond with that and if they like it and you have that bond, whether it's jiu-jitsu or guitar or blacksmith, or whatever, man, that's something very unique. And I think we lost that because we've become so independent. You know, our children are so independent. People have become so independent. There's so many options that some of that bond between parent and child is kind of like all right bro you're 18 go yeah. doing what that I don't know figure it out yeah. that's kind of how it is and I'm saying that is I'm not saying that the other way is way better but I've saying that we've gained some things and then we've lost others with the modern world That makes for sure sense.
0: yeah and I'm not like totally crapping on the current educational model because you might. Oh, we can crap on it, man. Like, yeah. let's face it. It's, it's yeah, but, failing. Yeah, but there, there, there's there some good things about it. But overall, like, I would like the mentorship model better. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to be mentored by my dad or by my mom. Yes. Because you might just end up where you don't really don't like that. You know, like if my dad was an engineer and I'm just not a math guy, you can't really get into engineering if you're not yeah. into math. And some people they just don't got it. And it's not like a fault of them. It's just what it's, it is what it is. It's so, their mind. But yeah. I feel like that you should mentor under somebody else. You know what I mean? But I do think, like, like, you're saying that, ideally, in a parent and uh, child, that there should be something they both have in common that they can jam to, you know, right. whether it's music or it's, it's art. anything. Or anything, anything. Yeah.
1: It breaks my heart when I see, like, parents that don't have anything to bond their kid. I, I, I'm like, man, that'd be, what are you doing, just feeding them? Yeah. Like, <laughs> congratulations, that's great, you know? But but that's kind of how I feel like some parents got, I'm not, not to shit on people, yeah. but, they, they think their job is like, okay, breathing, good. Pooping, peeing, eating, yeah. sleeping, good. Like, wait a second, man. Like, you're supposed to teach them.
0: Yeah, it's, much- it's, it's
1: not just feeding. Like, there's a lot more involvement. You got, they're, they're about to face the world. and What I do is, like, I try to, like, the lessons that I've learned in life. yeah Like, I kind of had to learn the hard way, man. Like, hanging my head against the wall. Like, okay, this doesn't work. Let's try this way, right? I try to teach my kids those lessons. Like, okay, you don't make the same mistakes daddy making. This is how it is. And you're going to try this way. I'm telling you right now, it doesn't work. This is what you got to do. You'd be surprised, man. They listen. To get my seven-year-old daughter off her iPad is not easy. But when I start giving her life advice, you'd be surprised, man. They, boom, they lock their eyes on you. They're listening because it's like they're ready for that relationship. It's like it's their, their children are naturally programmed to um, listen to their parents and trust their parents. If you tell them 2 plus 2 plus equals 5 and you keep saying that, kids will believe you, man. Like they, They'll believe anything you say. You have to take advantage of that and use that as a you know something positive. Like give your experience to them, create those bonds because that's that's what they expect. It's almost like they're expecting that of parents. I feel like, and I think a lot of like I'm not saying I'm perfect. You know, everyone's flawed, but we're we lost a lot of that. A lot of times, like okay, go on your iPad, forget it. You know, just you leave me alone so I can watch my TV show, and you can go on your iPad. You know, but there's not a lot of you know real interaction, quality time between parent and child. I feel like in the modern
0: world, it. it uh the whole ipad for kids thing like i don't have kids yet i've seen my parents it's my terrible. brother's kids it's, terrible. it's a real thing it's a it's it's a crack for children yeah and but i mean it's not just for children everybody does Me it too yeah you're on your phone you're all like, the time yeah oh, i'm having dinner oh what's going on oh this oh oh yeah okay and it's like man you know like it's a leash it, it is a leash and for children it's particularly addictive wow. you know even if it's just like like my brother has the kids and all like educational games yeah. but still fixated on it but at a certain point it's like yeah we got to detach from this so there's yeah. like curfews uh, you have to th- like you can set the screen time you can yeah, lock the phone exactly. the, the thing and then they ask that. mommy I want to unlock more time like no you're done like ah like, God damn it. it's <laughs> exactly
1: like a little crash. I told you it's, it becomes an addiction because you get addicted to the endorphins and I think we talked about this in one of the podcasts but they have a new category in psychology it's called attention engineering mm-hmm. you ever hear about that? No, but it, I can totally get they, what's going on. Yeah. It's, it's a field, and they basically, social media, that's, they hire, yeah. that's what they are. Like They, they have figured out all the loopholes in your mind on how to grab your attention and keep it for as long as they can. Everything from sound volume yep. to yep. the font, color of the font, how you edit videos, like all of that plays a role in how they grab and hold on to your attention. So Imagine game developers at the level of, you know, EA Sports or whatever, like these huge companies with billions of dollars for a budget, you know, they man—they got it down with science. Manipulating a four-year-old, it's a piece of cake. Yeah. Right? yeah. And there's a lot of that going on. And I mean, I'm guilty of it, too. Like, I'm on my phone all the time. But I, I think that, you know, we would all do well taking a step back from that. I'm not leaving it alone. I like my phone. Don't get me wrong. But, like, taking
0: a step back. For sure. That, uh, I think I thought we talked about this before, but there was an episode of South Park that essentially goes over the whole model of how you make a game addictive. Yeah, And it was funny because it was making fun of the Canadian government use the game to fund their government or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But it essentially talks about that, you know, attention engineering. Yeah, yeah. But it is a real thing and I think like, children are susceptible yes. or more susceptible than anything yeah. because their brains are ready to receive. Yeah. You know what I mean? So they'll soak up everything whether it's books or videos or games or whatever. Yeah. And it's kind of like I can get so much knowledge fast here, and you just want me to like sit down and you know read a book or something. It's like it's, it's an like, effort. Yeah, it's,
1: it's a quick reward. Yeah, I, I, and and I don't know why I think I mentioned this in one of the pockets. It Might have been here. I can't remember. But like it's you know in prehistory, you, you kill an animal, you're the hero of the village for weeks. You yeah. kill, like are like yes, we got meat. You know, for that you're, it's a big deal, man. Like, yeah. I've never bow hunted, but I imagine with a prehistoric bow or a spear, with, with a compound bow, it, I, I'm pretty sure it's hard. Imagine at back in the day, it's a huge achievement. Yeah. Imagine how that made you feel. You feel good, you don't yeah. wanna do it again. You want, to, you want that feeling of feeling like a superhero in the village when you go back, Right? for example. All right? And, and, and with a video game, you get that reward by pressing. Yeah. You know, I deleted Clash of Clans from my phone. fine. I played that <laughs> game for five years. I know I'm talking shit here, but like, I deleted it because this is when I deleted it. I was in a park, and I'm walking the dog, and I see a guy. And he has it on the table right, at the park, and he's got his iPad, and he's clearly playing a game. He's going like this, and that's all he's doing. He's just going up, and he's just like pressing whatever he's doing, and he probably is getting gold coins or points or something. Sounds so he's like, getting rewarded, and I'm like, man, that's. That's that's what video games are. They're just you're just it's like a little dose of crack, and you're just getting rewarded for nothing, and you becomes addicted because why would you work hard if if you're going to read a, like dense literature like it's an effort, it's hard. You're going to get past like some of these like it's not easy to read, right? It's it's an effort. You got to think. You got to interact with the author. It's it's, a, it's an exercise of the mind, and you're going back and forth. Why would I do? And then you get a reward at the end. You understand what he means. I'm like, oh, I never thought of that you get the reward, right? But it's an effort to get that reward. Whereas with games or movies and Netflix or whatever, you're getting bombarded with stuff and you're not working for it because it's just like, it's just digested yeah. for you. But the result is you lose the true treasure, which is learning the lesson because it's not, you're getting rewarded for nothing. So there's no real effort in things, right? That's why I'm not being overly critical people who play video games. Because I do too. But I think it's like, it's something we need to learn how to dose. I feel like,
0: yeah and i think now with how good the graphics are for games it kind of takes away some of your imagination too 100 percent. because like you're saying it's kind of like someone is regurgitating something that's already digested. adjusted. that's yeah. their mind that's not yours yeah you're not like, interacting you just like, open your mouth Blah, there there's everything mm-hmm. you don't have to imagine anything everything because i when i look back at the old days like when i played like you know, Super Joe, Mario you know? or like Zelda, yeah. and it was like the you know eight bit characters. Yeah. Like in my mind, I remember it differently. I remember yeah. like as a kid, like you kind of imagine so things, much better than it. And the it, it than actually it it was, yeah. and he, like you could not imagine characters differently. Yeah. You know, like, I I remember I was reading a book. It was like The Outsiders, yeah. and I I remember I imagined certain characters to be different races, and then I saw the movie. I'm like, oh, this guy was white. I thought he was. Yeah. A, he, I thought he was a black kid, you know, or whatever, and then. He, but I colored it my own way, yeah. right? So th- that was like me exercising imagination. But like you said, like when everything's already put out in super perfect detail, it's like you don't have to imagine anything. So it's like your brain's just like- you, you know when it's in. gonna be
1: all over is when they finally create a headset that is, cause I've tried some of the VR headsets. They're not that, they sort of hurt your eyes after a while. Right, you ever try one of those? Those no, no, Oculus I Rift? Like, after a while, I mean, the ones I tried, they, they, they yeah. get dizzy after a while. It's not, technology's not there yet. But imagine, like, 20 years from now where it's going to be, where you are inside Lord of the Rings or whatever it is that you're playing, like, and you are a character in there and you're actually killing, you know, dragons and it's what? It's game. over, man. Like, people are not going to want to eat, they're just going to be playing the game. There's a South Park. There's a South Park episode for every great yes, lesson in the modern world. They, like there's a South a Park episode. but, but yeah. there's one that were just like they don't leave and all they do is like play games and get really fat and Garvey's yeah. gonna poop and then his mom comes over and like, a little bucket he poops <laughs> in it. He doesn't stop playing. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's, that's how it is for some people. It, it is it's pretty bizarre. Like it's uh, people like in South Korea that die playing video games because they forget to go to the bathroom or drink water. It's, they're, they're, it's,
1: the study of the mouse that does that. It, like it gives like they they, they have a little it gives a little kick of, uh, of endorphins whenever it presses a button. And it feels so good that it keeps pressing the button over and over and over and over and over and over. And one day it just collapses because it forgot to eat and drink. Because yeah. it's so high off of the pleasure that it forgot about everything else. Right?
0: Yeah, it's, it's nuts. So like, this technology is a double-edged sword, you know? In one way, it's leveraged us, obviously, to become the... Masters of the planet. Yeah, Yeah. masters of the planet, you know, but at the same time, as we lean more into it, it's becoming a crutch. It -hmm. is, and I I, I wonder if we're
1: happier. That's the question I always ask, because don't get me wrong. I don't want to get rid of anything I have, but I do ask the question, are we better off in terms of our well-being? I guess, my guess is that we're not. I don't know. I don't know if there are enough studies on anxiety and depression in the 1950s, but from what I understand, it's going up. That's my understanding of, but I, I'm not too familiar to say, oh, it's the same. It's always been this way, and we're just acting like, like old man right, now, complaining about how the better days, you know, but I, may, I don't want to sound like that guy, right, but I do feel that there has been an increase of how people are looking for validation outside of themselves to feel good, like I need the world to approve me versus I approve of myself, and I don't hand that power to anyone. That is my power to appreciate who I am and how I feel, yeah. right? And I think when you hand that power to someone else, the result is that you create a lot of, oh, a lot of because now you need other people to approve of you, right? And I wonder if like the, 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 the turning the, the, the world into a global village, right? Making the world so much smaller. If it hasn't created that side effect of like, you constantly, you're just more needy of validation. Whereas before you like, you got a pat on the back once a day or once a week and be like, oh, I'm good enough. Now you need to every. 15 seconds if people aren't liking your pictures oh fuck am I good enough am I good looking enough yeah. am I smart enough am I making enough money and I'm not sure that element was there when my parents you know because they didn't have cell phones I could be wrong I don't know but uh, I think we've never compared ourselves to people as much as we do now is what I'm trying to say and that has yeah. a negative effect
0: I, I, I definitely agree with that right I think if we went like 1990. 95 just before internet started yeah. to burst right it, we had a good mix of there was a good amount of technology but you didn't have that awareness of everything going on in the world at once right yeah, like yeah. when you had news it was local news unless it was like a war or like a meteor crashed yeah. you wouldn't know what's going on in Korea yeah. or Australia like that wasn't in your circle you know and you didn't have cell phones where you could look up so you know you call people on a phone and sometimes there were rotary phones, like yeah, people so like, remember, "What the hell's a yeah. rotary phone?" Like, yeah. Yeah, I used them as a kid, <laughs> you know. So, like, you didn't have instant access to everything. So yeah. most of your life experience was based on what you actually saw, right? Yeah. And not so much on like what I saw on social media. So your circle of uh, influence was was much your, smaller. Was you much smaller? Your local community, right? I, I feel that that's a much easier way to function versus. Like you said, when you have social media, you have to compare yourself to the world. Yeah, man, there's it's a high standard. It's a super high, it's a high standard. High standard to me, because <laughs> there's so many super exceptional people. <laughs> yes. at Whatever you're gonna look at, you know, yes. whether it's a beautician or it's an artist True. or a musician or like an engineer, Anything. like there's outliers yeah. everywhere, and like you get to see them all the time. Because guess what? They're the most popular because yes. they're the outlier. Yes. And if you're like Joe Schmo, you're like, man, I, I suck. Like. That's this guy, like, yeah. like, jumps, like, 20 feet, and he can do this, and I'm here, like, at nothing. Yeah. So, like, you're constantly being undermined every time you
1: look. And not only that, like, you know, there's one thing about social media that's pretty consistent is how dishonest it is. I was, like, there's this uh, the friend of mine in Canada. He's always sending me, like, pictures of, like, hot girls. And he'll be like, oh, man, look at that. That dog, such a beautiful breed, right? And was like, just joking. We're not right. looking, the, we're looking at the girl, right? And he sends me this, this, this page of this girl. She has, like, God knows how many like a million followers. I mean, it's just her doing yoga poses. But in every single one of the poses, her ass is towards the camera. And it's a beautiful <laughs> ass. Like, it's like, of a majestic pieces of it. I'm like, wow. And you're just like, you, I mean, you're a man. You can't not stare. It's impossible yeah. not to. She's beautiful. But the quotes are great. You know, look within yourself to find true happiness. It was just like some of that motivational crap. And I'm like, do you not, I mean, do you self-delude yourself to the point where you actually believe what you're saying? Does anyone believe what you're saying? Clearly, your following has to do with your looks. Yeah. Not with the fact that you're a beautiful person inside. Because I can't even see who you're inside. Because <laughs> certainly not coming across through your pictures. Yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, and then, and, and it's, it's, it's a very fake environment. Like, people who don't own a yacht will take a picture in one and, like, act like they, like, that's not you, bro. That's, you just...
0: I think, so what did I see this? Like, I, saw, a company. I, I think Lloyd just posted something like that because people are jealous of imaginary lives that are yes. not even being They're not even real. <laughs> They're not yeah. even real, dude. I think there's a
1: company in Russia where like, it's a fake jet and you can go inside and take pictures and just act like you're flying in a flying jet. And it's just for your Instagram. So you walk in and you're acting like you're just looking, you know, just oh, just thinking about all the billions <laughs> you have you know, in, a, in a private jet. It's not a real jet. And you take the pictures in it and then and that's, they charge you for that. That's and amazing. that's kind of what we're moving towards, you know. It's, just it's very strange.
0: Everybody's trying to posture and, <laughs> wow, Like it's funny because we went scuba diving, right? Yeah. And we're in Miami or well, in Key West, but this guy comes in and he looks like he's uh, right off finishing his latest rap album. Yeah. He's got these giant gold chains, <sighs> got tats everywhere. He has two girls that like looked like they went to the same plastic surgery because they have these big old butts, yeah. same lips, same shape, yeah. everything. And they're all going scuba diving. And he's scuba diving with, or he, he was like snorkeling, or they had like a hybrid for like beginners. He took the
1: chains off to scuba dive, no. otherwise he'd sink.
0: He had the chains on, and That's he's like, crazy. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, like, what's going on here? Are yeah. in real life? And, yeah. it's a, and, and the girls, like, they started crying, like, because they got freaked out when they went to dive or whatnot. Because it wasn't like they thought it was going to be. It's real yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, and they're like, Oh, wait. And they were asking people, Oh, let me take a picture for the gram and this and that. i like, that's what this is really all about, you know what It's a hundred percent. That's just why they to do look it. Cool, you know. It's like Jesus, yeah. man. Like, Enjoyed the moment. Yeah, like yeah. I, that's why, like my brother was asking me, oh, what camera should I get for the, the scuba diving? Because we went to dive. Like honestly, man, I have a little cheap one because I could use one hand to do it because I want to enjoy the experience. Because if you want to be like a good ocean uh, videographer, you need to have a rig that's two-handed. It that has yeah. like these strobe lights here, and it's a, pretty much a full job of you operating this thing. Now I'm not diving, right? Now you're filming. Now I'm filming, yes. right? And like, I came to dive, right? You know, like, I, I take like selfies and stupid little pictures. Of course, yeah. Just like for whatever, you know, be, but that's like five seconds of a 60-minute dive, yeah. right? I want to dive more than anything, you know? And the more stuff you put in, so like, just get something like your GoPro, you know, mount it on your head and you're good. That's Yeah, you can yeah. forget about you it. You can yeah. forget about it and just yeah. enjoy the actual experience of it because it's a, it's a really good thing to disconnect from. And there's no phones underwater, so it's great. It's beautiful. That's one reason I <laughs> like flying.
1: because I fly so much, and everyone's like, Ron, I kind of don't know how you do it. And I'm like, I kind of like it. And then i was like, why? I was like, I don't get, I get, I'm on airplane mode on the flight, so I actually read without being interrupted. No one interrupts me. All right? That's one of my biggest Ps in life, now, because like, I get interrupted all the time with my phone. And I mean, it's work, so I, yeah. I have to do it. I don't mind. But it happens so much, it's hard for me to focus. like writing the, the, the book was an unusual experience for me because I would make a point of putting my phone like upstairs and I'd be downstairs. So I, I, there's no way I can check it because if it's next to you, you got to check. Yeah. So I have to have my phone far away from me and I'll take like for the next four hours, I'm just going to type. And that's how I got it done relatively quickly because I wasn't being interrupted all the time. So it made me think that I, I want to just have like an automated response on my text messages and whatever. It's like, hey man, here's my email. You know, because I think I'd free up my time so much if I weren't on my phone. Because we, we, it does you know, really, you know, become like a leash. Uh,
0: yeah, I told you, no BS time management, Dan Kennedy. That's I know, you told me, we had this,
1: I I <laughs> I know. I, I got to start reading some of these. I ended up, like, reading the same stuff over and over, but I got to still, like, especially the time management thing would, would be very helpful. For, I, for you, for
0: the the phone, like, if I'm gonna sit down and write something or do some creative work, where you know how it is. If yeah. you get interrupted, your flow is gone, right? Done, done. Yeah. It takes and like 30 minutes to get it back. To get it back, so you, you get killed, right? So if I'm gonna do something like that, phone on mute and just put it face down away so I can't see the screen light yeah. up or anything. And then you just do like a four hour block or two hour, whatever your time is, you know? Like, it yeah. depends on how long you can go. And then afterwards, okay, turn it on and then check your things. Like. We've been conditioned so much that when you hear ding, oh
1: yeah, it's conditioned (laughs) because you like
0: you know there's an endorphin that goes oh did someone like something oh sweet you know but uh, if you if you have that thing off and you just work man it's so much easier and then there's no it's very rare that you have to pick up a call that is going to be urgent where. But I mean urgent to me it's is one out of it's twenty a, that's it's like, a life or death situation. Yeah, that's never, yeah. That's One's never, done. right? So everything else can wait. Can wait, right? There's very rare like I have it happen to me, you know, like I would, that I've had a life or death situation yeah. that needed to be addressed immediately, right? If someone calls me, oh, I need to help with this project, whatever, like usually you could wait an hour. Yeah, I'm with you. Or a couple of hours and then I get back. And I remember some people are getting upset and go, oh man, you don't answer my text right away. I'm like People hey, get mad. Yeah, I'm yeah like, they get upset. i like, man, st- I'm doing stuff. You know, I'll get yeah. to it. You know, yeah. I answer every phone call, every email, you know, but, you know, all my time. Because like you said, like when you're doing creative work, you need that flow state. And it takes, like you said, usually like 30 minutes or so to start getting into the vibe. And, okay, now we got a good train of thought. Yes, go, you want to type go. fast yeah. because you don't want to yeah. lose it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and now I'm yeah. flowing, you know. Yeah. But, like, every time someone yanks you out of it, it's hard. It's just like with competing, you know? Like, if you're grappling, you need to be in that flow state, too. Yes. I know, like, I did... My last tournament I ever did was at IBJJF. It was 2013. It was after ADCC. I, Nogi Worlds. Nogi worlds. Worst I've ever done in competition, ever. And I wasn't in the right state of mind. Yeah. I remember because I, my brother wasn't there to coach me because he had to do something else, so I was there solo not recommended i think you should always have a coach i didn't have a coach i'm like fine yeah
1: especially if you're used to having one yeah,
0: yeah. i'm like you know i'll just do it my own i'm good so i went there and uh i remember i guess you have to wear the right shorts and i had the shorts that i thought were like approved for no gi. oh no no they weren't they're, they're so i got on the mats and then they're like oh you're gonna get dq'd i'm like what because those are the wrong shorts i like, oh crap so now i'm running Trying to find shorts. Oh, I got to buy this. Okay. Yeah. And now I get in the mats. And I'm just worrying, I'm just worrying about getting DQ'd. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I want to get here. And then so when I got in the mats, like, my mindset was totally off. I remember I was fighting this guy, and he kept putting me, like, in 50-50 ankle locks. Yeah. And they were deep. Yeah, And I wasn't even thinking about it. And, like, I remember he was belly down, yeah. full extension like this. And I was looking at it, and I'm like, that's kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I was so disconnected from the moment. You couldn't react in time to do something about it. Yeah, you know. no, unfortunately, I, mean, I was able to eat them. You know, I'm like, oh, okay. And then, I, I, I know but what I, you're talking about. Yeah, but like, I was just not there. Yeah, you know? I know
1: exactly what you're talking about. Your mind is not there. This is why I always say this. Like, this is kind of like a new realization. I'm pretty sure at some point we talked about it, but like how important your social environment is for fighting. Because what puts me off is my personal life being out of whack. Like, and it distracts me. Yeah. And I have a hard time getting into that flow. When everything else is working in my life, I feel like it's, I, I'm, it's not that I'm getting into flow, I'm in that flow. Yeah. I don't leave that state of flow where my focus is what I gotta do. But if other things are distracting me, if I got problems at home or anything like that, it keeps pulling me out of my flow and then it's hard for me to get in again, right? And I've had those, I have both in my life. And me, performance-wise, it's night and day, How it is when you're in that zone, when you're in that flow of training, of competing, of like reacting to the footlock before it's there, right? Versus like mid-roll, you're like thinking, yeah, I got to pay that one bill later. You know, it it, it literally sometimes these thoughts, they interrupt, they're in the middle of your training. Yeah. Right? And they should not be. Right? you got to just, it's hard to do because adult life responsibilities are the, you know, that's what adult life is. But I think that's one reason why competitors are like, it's almost like by necessity they're very irresponsible. It's because they don't want to have any other concern in life distracting them. Maybe that's the yeah. way it should be. Because most competitors yeah. I know, they're like, they're like children. They don't yeah. know how to do anything. They don't want to learn either. It's just they're very focused on what they're doing and nothing else matters.
0: Well, that's, in the ideal world, you have a coach or you have someone handling all these things for you as a professional athlete, yeah. right? You have your nutritionist, you have your therapist, you have your, you know, your, Coach for jiu-jitsu or martial arts or MMA, whatever. Everybody's handling something, so you can just focus on you, right? Like, okay, I just need to be able to report to each of these coaches yeah. and get what I need from them, and then sleep, right? Yeah. I mean, that would be like if I was programming a machine. That's how I would want yeah. it, right? It shouldn't have to worry about like, okay, work at nine to five, and then come home and feed the dog, and then do like. Yeah. Now you're getting distracted, like you're saying. Instead of just focusing purely on being uh, in preparation for your event. But we're human. We need, we need some sort of distraction, but they have to be, like, managed, you know? I, I always tell people, like, for, like, fights and whatnot, you know, we talk about visualization and stuff. Those are all great, but when it comes close to the fight camp, it's like, oh, when the fight's about to happen, like, a week out, I say, stop doing that. Yeah, because you're going to be, like, going double-telling. I, it's, it's, so, it's, yeah. so, it's so true. Like, when I get closer, I want to get away from it a little yeah.
1: bit. What I My trick, is and it always works, is, like, I will try to go to the movie theater the yes. night before. It always worked because, like, for some reason, I still get excited about going to the movie theater. I, you know, watching a movie at home is just not the same. I like the smell of popcorn. It's something exciting. It was like the night before. The night before I went to ECC, that's what I did. I went to the, the, the movie theater. What did I watch? I think it was Spider-Man that was playing. It was the very first Spider-Man. And uh, it was great, man. It was great. Like, it was just like one of those, like, you get your mind off of jujitsu completely yep. for two, three hours. It's just like, you know, and I think you need that because you can, it's like watching the highlight reel of your opponent too many times. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't watch it, period. But like, you should study your opponent a little bit, but you got to stop it because if you keep watching it every day, yeah, it's not it gets theory. into your head too much. So you got to, you know, you got I to, I normally recommend fighters watch their opponents beginning of camp. Yeah. We know what the camp is. Once you know what the camp is, done. Yeah. Don't touch it again.
0: And like, like you're saying, you just need to be aware of what they bring, right? You don't need to be as like, Super specialist, understanding every nook and cranny of their yeah. game. Like he said, because now I'm focusing on what they're doing instead of what I'm going to do. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I always tell people, I have an awareness of what the opponent is doing. Like, oh, he's really good at leg locks. Okay. That means I, my camp should include yeah. leg lock defense and prevention, and all that. But like, yeah, watching highlight reels is just going to. I did it
1: once. I'm never doing it again because it turned a chump into a superhero. Yeah. Because that's what a highlight reel is. It that's makes it. them look way better than
0: they actually are. Yeah. And then you're overestimating somebody yeah. and then you're second guessing yourself but the movie theater I I don't go to the movie theater, but I do watch movies yeah Yeah, it's a great distraction the day before the fight or watch TV just something where that's the one time you do want to just like blink out like
1: Tiger King something that's like like (laughs) addicting like you can't stop watching you know it's garbage but you can't stop watching I watched that whole thing in like two days I think it was embarrassing couldn't stop have you seen it? yeah 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 it's It's
0: crazy. crazy of course I think um, they, they perfectly timed that release for the quarantine because, yeah, 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 it was very it was well the beginning timed. Of quarantine. Everybody's like, Well, I guess we're watching this crazy, backstory. yeah. yeah.
1: And the best thing about that TV show was that, uh, like every single person he interviewed is an absolute lunatic. Oh, there's yeah. no one normal there. That's what's so great. It's like they, they live in this altered reality. I think the opening quote in the first episode was, like Oh, yeah, but the monkey people, yeah, the monkey people are crazy. And I'm like, oh, God, the monkey people are crazy. Got it. <laughs> and then no one else, right? They're all totally out of mind. Monkey the people. Like, I don't know what you talking about. What, is the, what are the monkey people? <laughs> yeah, the them?
0: one guy who had the whole cult with, the, with all the, with the tigers. Yes. the doc something or other? I was like, Jesus. like yeah. yeah, there's some weird The, the world ass is people. an interesting place.
1: Interesting place. Yeah, it is. Uh, Dave, I think we're good, man. We probably had an hour in the time of today. It's probably out of minute
0: yeah, we hit an hour there. So um, but can...
1: yeah, um, man, it was fun in a minute. We got to do this now that you're back. COVID is kind of over, not over, but we're not freaking out. At first, everyone's freaking out. We don't even want to film for episodes because sure. like Dave for sure has COVID. I don't want to get infected. <laughs> so, yeah. if it's, if
0: I have to feel like this. Well, I'll tell you, yeah. my mother, she got COVID-19. Yeah, I had it too. Yeah. I got it at oh, some okay. point, yeah. She, but she had a back. She went to the hospital. Oh, um, they had her in isolation for like three weeks. But uh. She also had three major comorbidities. She was overweight, she's over 60, she has like a form of cancer, like CLL. So, like they were trying to be very sheltered, but they just made one mistake, which was they had an AC guy come into their place to repair the AC. Turns out the guy wasn't wearing a mask, she wasn't wearing a mask, so they let their guard down mm-hmm. for a moment. Later on, like a couple of days later, she ends up having a hard time breathing, they go to the hospital, locked out. That guy ended up going to the hospital. His wife passed away. So yeah. that one exposure, done. Right? Yeah. But they were more worried for my father because he was going through chemo. Yeah. He got it. Just lost his smell. That was, yeah. And he had some hard time sleeping, I think. That was it. It just affected them very differently. You know, but my mom had a history of having pneumonia and that's what she got. Yes. Really those bad. are the ones that are most at risk. Yeah. yeah. And she had it really bad. But fortunately she's already back home now, pulled through. But I think at the end of the day, not to get too political or anything here, we're not gonna be able to wear masks forever. No, right? No. Like, no. Unless that's what everybody wants to play around with, like we're gonna oh wear a mask year round. Because look, we're started like well. Some people are saying March, at least the lockdowns, but it was here earlier, yeah. right? And now we're in September, about the end of October, and we're still having this. So at some point, either we're going to accept that this is what it is, or we're going to continue. I, I think it's just that, like, well, when
1: the Spanish flu came along, it was very similar. People were wearing masks, yeah. and they were, I don't know how long it went on for, but that was, that was a world pandemic. It was yeah. not so different almost exactly 100 years ago eventually the spanish flu became part of life yeah and now and now it's still around but we you know we don't stop going to work because the flu is out there we keep i think COVID was just going to be another one a strain of the flu that we're gonna have to deal with but like i don't think that this is permanent like i for a minute there, I was like man this is how life is going to be i don't think so i think it's things going to yeah. bounce back to normal I mean, maybe six months. I don't know. Like, who can predict? But yeah, it, it's not life to, to be, like, you can't hug people anymore, without, yeah. you know?
0: No, it's, it, it can't work that way, no. right? And what they have done around the, this country, just in this country alone, is horrifying. Yeah. When I went to the oh. Keys, those people were really frustrated. Apparently, they blocked the road so that nobody could get in or out of the Keys. Well, I guess certain people were allowed if you were from the Keys, you were able to move in and out, yeah. but you couldn't visit. That's a tourist economy. Yeah. So guess what happened to them? They got ravaged. Yeah. Huh? So, I mean, there's a lot of places like that that are just really frustrated. Yeah, yeah well, well, people, as I say, they're prioritizing health
1: over everything else. And I'm I, i, I I'm not trying to be, you know, not not. it's a serious threat, I understand that. But I still believe that a global depression is a more serious threat because... Yeah it's gonna impact the disease and the recovery of people as well because if we're broke, we can't really treat people either. Yep. So it's not like corona is gonna get better if we enter a global depression. The choice is not between corona and global depression. It's between corona or global depression plus corona. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's, those are the two alternatives. Yeah, so. it's,
0: it's, it's not going, like you said, it's right. gonna be like another seasonal thing that's going yeah. on. And the best way about this, be healthy. Yeah, you, know, you can't be healthy if to, you're hiding away somewhere. I, I, yeah. No
1: one talks. It's like to me, is the most. I, I think this is the reason why it's never talked about because it, it's free and it's cheap and it's efficient. Be healthy. Yeah. Like sleep well, get some sun, work out, eat healthy. Immune system strong. Yeah. Chances are we'll fight off the virus. That's your best weapon against this thing, right? It, it is your immune system. It's not any vaccine or the hospital or the yeah. ventilators. That's a Plan B, man. Plan A: be healthy. It's like jujitsu. Yeah. I get this question every day. I get a question from a white belt. They go like this how do I get out of a triangle? I'm like, bro. And I explain. So I tell you, the best solution is not to get out of- don't get caught. Yeah. Right? And they don't like that answer. But it's similar with this virus. I think the best alternative, the best option we have is not to get caught in the triangle Don't get caught in the corona triangle. Like, don't get caught. And then you're good. Once you're caught, okay, now you've got a much bigger problem in your hand. And it's a simple solution. Eat, sleep. Healthy. Eat healthy. Sleep well.
0: That's it. You yeah. know, sun, work out. Yeah. So- All the people I've known that have had serious, uh, like effect from it we're all unhealthy like they, yeah. they weren't as fit as they could be yeah. right. so like I feel like that's you know, anecdotal but I think like that's the best thing you can do because you can't run away from it forever you know like like you said like if we're, if we're sheltered in anymore it's going to be a problem yeah. it, it already is a problem for a lot oh, of people oh we're printing
1: money Every, the only reason yeah. the comments are right is because the government just writing everyone a check right now
0: Yeah,
1: right and that's what we're getting by but like how long is that going to go on for
0: yeah. government
1: writing people's checks like printing more dollars like I don't know, man. I'm no economist, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure there are consequences to that. You
0: know? Absolutely. Um,
1: all right, Dave, I got to get Man, it was a pleasure. I uh, will do this again. Uh, we got to get a guesser at some point. Uh, yeah. I got some guys in mind. And, um, but, yeah, it was fun, man. I, once again, I want to apologize to you guys about the documentary. Um, but it's not on me, man. It really is. not But the, the book is out. The book is good. You guys are going to like it. And where, where do people find out about it, Rob? ClosedGuardFilm.com. You see how bad of a businessman I am. I don't even (laughs) give a ClosedGuardFilm.com. That's where the film is going to be. Books ready out. We're coming up with some posters soon, too. Yeah, but
0: Instagram also is. Instagram is at ClosedGuardFilm. Gotcha. All right. Makes it easy. All right. All right, guys. We'll see you on the next one. Ciao. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Like I said, we'll be back to a normal schedule. waiting once a month to go back to our weekly. And if you liked what you heard, had suggestions, comments, go ahead, post them on our YouTube, send them to our email, put them on social media. You know, you can find us at BreakingTheGuard.com. Our Facebook and Instagram is at BreakingTheGuard. And on Twitter, we're BreakingGuard. Final word from one of our sponsors which is the Kimura Trap System. You guys know what it's all about, all right? The Kimura Trap System is, again, to me, I'm very biased, but the most powerful submission series you can find in the martial arts today. It works for all sizes, shapes, ages, genders. It doesn't care about what you have. You can make it work with you, whether you're a top player, a bottom player, you're a wrestler, or you're a jiu-jitsu guy. There's a way you can use this if you want to smash somebody from their half guard or you want to be able to catch people off your half guard. If you want to stop people from taking you down and have a powerful counter submission or if you want to set up your own takedowns and use a Kimura Trap as a plan B. All these things are much more possible with it. And at the price it is now at 50% off, it makes it a no brainer. I used to sell this at 197 Currently, it's 97 for the online edition, 107 plus shipping and handling for the DVD. Just go ahead and visit KimuraTrap.com. Or you can go ahead and place your order there. I offer both DVD with online access or just the online only. And if you're still not sure yet, you can order the $7 edition, which is just the online access, like the first 60 minutes worth of it. So it gives you a quick teaser of what you can expect again, with the online access, you're able to watch everything from your phone. you can download the lesson plans or the the mind maps. you can download the the ebook so it makes it really approachable and the newer videos' there's over eleven hours of content now. The original d v d set was about four and a half hours long, and since then it's been like since almost eight years now since we released in two thousand and twelve we have added over seven hours of content. So it's pretty amazing, guys. You're getting almost two it's like three times the original course. All right. And these extra videos are sometimes just updates that I've made based on observations and, you know, trial and error that I've added to techniques to make them more efficient. Sometimes they're just videos of me teaching in seminars or classes or private lessons like I have a private lesson I'm doing with Frank Mir on there. So you guys get to see different angles, different questions people ask. I think this all just helps you be able to learn uh, and really get the technique down. So go ahead, visit kimuratrap.com to learn more and place your order today.